give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. They asked and quails appeared and he satisfied with them with bread from heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know what your childhood vacations were like or what your current vacations are like, but mine had a particular memory associated with them. My parents raised me from age 10 on up in the Fort Lauderdale area, in Plantation to be exact. But my dad was from East Tennessee, Maryville. Well, that's how it's spelled, but in the local dialect, it's Merville. My dad was raised in Merville, Tennessee. And so every summer that we could, we would make the long trek to Merville, Tennessee. It's 900 miles to Maryville. And what I remember, one of the memory I have today is the trip home. From Maryville, Tennessee to Jennings, Florida, which is pretty much on the borderline between Georgia and Florida, is 500 miles. That's a long way in hot summers in the early 1960s in the backseat of the Rambler that's got plastic covers on the seats. You remember those? Because my brother and I were kind of messy, so we had, the, we had the plastic covering like on everything. And you know, wearing the shorts, short sleeves, windows rolled down because my dad's Rambler did not have air conditioning. Why? Well, because if you got air conditioning, it would break. And we had no, we had no radio because if you got a radio, you could expect it to break. So my brother and I would just be 500 miles of just being buffeted by this hot air and just, oh. So we would get to the Florida-Georgia line and the rush of, yay, we just crossed the state line. We're almost home. would give way to, what? We're barely halfway home? I'm not going to make it. Well, here's where we are in season two, episode five of the Bible's great epic of God blessing the world through his people, Israel. You'll remember that it start, that the epic starts season one in the book of Genesis. And uh, in season two, we open in episode one with the threat to the blessing because Israel's trapped in slavery in Egypt. In episode two, in Exodus three, um, God jumps into the pit of our slavery to redeem us. Episode three, we have the Passover, a meal of preparation for a journey uh, in, out of slavery into freedom. Then episode four, which was last week, we had, we had the exodus itself, a baptism of salvation, of deliverance. Today, episode five, we have, we have the episode of well, you're out of Egypt, but you're a long way from the promised land and you need nourishment for the journey. You're a long way from the promised land. Not exactly a friendly environment out here in the desert. Not a lot of rest stops. Not a lot of McDonald's. Not exactly friendly neighbors. And it's going to be a slog and a dangerous one at that. Oh, 
again, there's the uncomfortable fact that you brought a lot of Egypt with you. Abused as a slave, you now think like a slave, feel like a slave, act like a slave, subject to all kinds of desires of envy, lust, bitterness. You've learned not to trust anybody and to expect the worst from life. You've learned to think like a victim and you have strategies of self-protection. So here you are a month or six weeks into a journey that has no end in sight. You're running out of provisions. The silver and gold that the Egyptians gave you just to get you out of the country is not going to do you much good because there's nowhere to spend it out here. And the provisions are, you've just about eaten through everything you've got. The wolf of hunger is stalking you. Your belly is grumbling, and so what do you do? Now, you might do the equivalent of what my three sons did during the great hailstorm of 1992. Y'all remember that? That hailstorm blew through Central Florida, and for months afterwards, every house, every building it seemed like was covered with a blue tarp. Well, back in nine, 1992, my oldest son was five, and then when our kids saw the, roof, the patio roof and pool screen of our house enclosure collapse, they dropped to their knees and said, let's pray. Well, and you might, you might do what community after community does after an outbreak of unspeakable horror as Orlando did in this cathedral after the Pulse murders, you might fall to your knees and in vigil ask, God, have mercy. Well, the children of Israel might have dropped to their knees and asked the God who rescued them from Egypt to sustain them in the wilderness. But no, that's not what happens. What we get is a whine of, a whine of well, if only we'd stayed. It wasn't so bad back there. And what we get is a romanticizing about what it was like back there, and then blame and recrimination against the ones who brought them out here into this dangerous place. But what we get is remarkable. What we get is a threefold lesson from God, a staggering mercy, a sustaining meal, and strength for the journey. First, staggering mercy. God's restraint in the face of the frailty and the rebelliousness of those people, and I submit us as well. As Psalm 103.13 says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities his children. Seven times we're told in this passage that the people complain the older translations have murmur, 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 murmur that just bubbles over and, and discontent. And, and But what God does is respond by showing, verse 7, the glory of the Lord. You realize as many times as this phrase shows up later in the Bible, this is the first time it shows up in all the Bible. God shows his glory, his brightness, the weightiness of his being as he comes to respond to their needs. God meets us in the midst of the needs of daily life. He meets us even when complaining, murmuring with hearts 
of despair with a meal. And then there is the sustaining meal, the provision for our need. And so there is this meal in the wilderness, quail and manna, migratory birds that seem to make a brief appearance, and this mysterious congealing dew. The Hebrew mana means, what is it? And it accompanies the people throughout their journey. Psalm 105 verse 40, as we sang this morning, calls it bread from heaven. Psalm 78 verse 25 calls it bread of angels. This meal turns out to be a marvelous Easter egg, a forecast of something marvelous to come. Listen to what Jesus says about this this meal in John chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. And then Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Well, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The giving of the manna is a picture of God's giving of himself in the person of his son as companion in the journey. And so we sing, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread from heaven, bread from heaven, feed me till I want no more. And then third, in this meal, between the Passover of deliverance and before feasting with God on the great mountain and feasting with God, enjoying the fruit of the promised land, in this journey in the wilderness, we get strength for the journey. We have the opportunity here in the wilderness to build muscles of renewal. The daily discipline is enjoined upon them of gathering just enough for that day. And then on the sixth day, enough for that day and the following day of rest, learning faith, learning not to hoard, trusting that you and your neighbor are being taken care of, each according to your needs. As C.S. Lewis tells the children of Narnia, you don't need to know everybody else's story. Worry about your own. Eucharistic prayer C asks for the table. Eucharistic prayer C asks for the grace that we might come to the table looking for strength as well as solace, renewal as well as pardon. Because solace and pardon belong to the table as Passover, the passing over of our sins. Strength and renewal belong to the table as bread from heaven, food for the journey. And it's a wonderful thing that we have a table that says all of this. The Passover because our sins have been taken care of. Bread from heaven so that we might have life and nourishment 
on the journey in the wilderness and then in anticipation of the great banquet at the end of time. You see, what we learn today is that God is not content just to get us out of jail, get us out of Egypt, get us out of slavery. He will not rest until he gets Egypt out of us, until he gets slavery out of us. And so Paul can declare, as he does from the dark prison that he's writing in to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He is the bread from heaven, and I am nourished whether I live or I die. To live daily in communion with Christ is life itself. In prayer, in the word, in the fellowship, at the table, whenever possible. And in him, dying is gain. Dying to sin, dying to self in the first place. And then if he asks, even in the martyrdom of death or of a second-tier career, or of a call to a far country of gospel-bereft people, or of a call maybe to the mundaneness of caring for kids, or doing your homework, or just saying no to the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, as John puts it in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 16. Years ago, when I, had, when I first trusted Christ, when I had my exodus experience of being born again and delivered from the fear of condemnation for sin, I thought for a day or two that I was home free. Soon enough, I realized, well, I may be out of Egypt, but I was a long way from home. And there was a lot of Egypt left in me. A friend confronted me about a little statue I kept on my desk, uh, he maintained that it expressed values unworthy of a Christian. I went to a professor to ask for one more extension on a paper promising that this would be the last time since I'd just been born again and now I was a new person so my work would always be on time now. Well, his knowing smirk haunts me to this day. And in fact, my battle with chronic procrastination was just beginning. In fact, I think I'm going to start it tomorrow. <laughs> Some say, why put off tomorrow what you can do today? I'm like, why put off to tomorrow what you can put off to the next day? Well, anyway. And I soon realized that someone I trusted spiritually was in fact a manipulator and that I was going to have to make a hard decision about which camp among the divided Christians I was going to land in. Yes, I was out of Egypt, but a long way from home. Thankfully, thankfully, the person who introduced me to Christ in that very moment introduced me to one of God's most precious provisions— with saltines he had purloined from the university cafeteria and a grape knee-high soda he acquired from the soda machine down the hall, he introduced me to the body and blood 
to Jesus as bread from heaven and cup of salvation. And so my own journey, my own journey has been one of decisively pushing back the values of that little desk statue, of realizing I can offer the best I have at any given moment and trust that my adequacy comes from God and not from myself, of looking to God to empower me by his grace to be the calm in a world of mistrust and dissension. And all because of the peace and hope that this table speaks and makes physical. All because of this table where Christ is remembered, brought back together again as we gather around it, where Christ is made tangibly present, and where you and I become what we eat. That is, using carefully the words of the ancient church, becoming little Christ's. So, come to the table. Dare to let it make you a little Christ. And then, in the words of Aaron Tate's song, take to the world this love and hope and faith, this rare and relentless grace. And may the bread, may the bread on your tongue leave a trail of tears to lead the hungry back to the place you are from. Amen.